Hello and welcome to this podcast series which explores the recently published book A New Dynamic 2. The book looks at effective systems in a circular economy and contains 11 articles which span a variety of fields including architecture, agriculture, design, business and engineering and it provides insights that point towards a new regenerative framework for economic prosperity. My name is Colin Webster and I work with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation who published the book. The circular economy is often described as a way to allow products and their components to be used as endlessly as possible. But how does it work when we come to the system that sustains life, agriculture? Today's guest, Hunter Lovins, argues that we need a circular economy of the soil to feed a growing population, but also to restore soil quality and ultimately to reconcile farming systems with natural cycles. Hunter is the president of Natural Capital Solutions and the co-author of Natural Capitalism, The Next Industrial Revolution. Hunter, the Millennium Ecosystem Assessment concludes that agriculture is the largest threat to biodiversity and ecosystem function of any single human activity. Ouch! Tell us about that. It's a fairly sobering statement, isn't it? (laughs) The, the impacts of agriculture are multiple, varied, and the way we're doing it, mostly negative. Agriculture starts with a healthy soil, and yet the way in which we're doing agriculture is destroying the soil. Estimates run from 30% of topsoil lost in the last 40 years to 50% lost since we began modern agriculture over the last 150 years. It's lost because we plow it up and then it rains and it runs off. The wind blows and it blows away. The fertility of the soil is lost because we pour massive amounts of chemicals onto it, nitrogen-based fertilizers, which then denitrify the soil because the native bacteria that had been converting the nitrogen either from the air or from the soil into usable form kind of lose interest because they've been swamped by all the nitrogen we're pouring on. They die. So then the soil is really becoming dirt. It it's losing its life. In healthy soil, there, well, you can take your guesses to the estimates, more microorganisms in a teaspoon than there are people on Earth, billions of microorganisms in a handful of soil. And yet most soil in most agricultural plots is essentially dead, waiting for us to pour artificial fertilizers onto it. We then grow monocultures, so we, in a a sense, are laying out a buffet for the the bugs, the pests. So then we pour poisons on to kill those, which then further degrades the soil. All in all, we are (laughs) erasing the ability of healthy soil to provide life on Earth. But put it all together and... Agriculture is, as currently practiced, is eroding its own basis for existence. Hunter, you've laid out a rather depressing case for the state of agriculture today. Is there any hope for change, hope for the future in agriculture? 
And indeed, there are now large numbers of groups who say, give it up, it's over, grieve, get over it, and then go party, because there is nothing you can do. I think that's the most profoundly irresponsible position that anyone could take. And particularly because we know the ways to solve all of these problems, to avoid total system collapse, and as you mentioned, they are systemic solutions. Things like practicing regenerative agriculture, the, the whole approach of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation of the circular economy, the multiple solutions to solving the climate crisis, all of the solutions of outfits like Equality Trust in the UK of uh, how you reduce inequality. So we can reverse the loss, the, the overuse, the loss of resources. We can reverse the huge and growing inequality that we now have in society. And it would be a good thing to do it. And in every instance in which it's been studied, it turns out to be more profitable to do it. All right, great. Let's talk about that uh, profitability uh, of taking a different approach. Could you tell us about some examples of where agriculture has taken a different route and it's turned out to be a more profitable action to take? And one of the best examples is the work of the Savory Institute. Alan Savory is a Rhodesian wildlife biologist who observed that in Africa, where the native herds were able to roam across the land, the land was in good health. Where people herded cattle, the land was degrading. And he realized it's because we were not herding the animals the way nature always had. It's the coevolution of grazing animals and grasslands that put carbon into the soil. In nature, there are predators, and so grazing animals tend to pack up. They're in herds because if there are lions or wolves, roaming around the outside, the safe place to be is in the middle of the herd. So everybody's always trying to get into the middle. The herd eats everything. It fertilizes the soil. Its hooves chop it up. It then moves on and doesn't come back until there's grass there again. This mobbing action and disturbance of the soil is what enables the seeds to have little pockets to uh, sit in the rainwater and sprout, have the fertilizer to grow. And this process of mowing the grass is what puts carbon into the soil. If we mimic that with herders, with fences, with opening and closing water holes, you can actually double the carrying capacity of grazing animals, even on very degraded rangeland thereby putting more money in the pocket of the grazier or the rancher, and at the same time helping to rebuild healthy soils. This approach called holistic planned grazing is now practiced on more than 40 million acres around the world and enhancing the profitability of, of people who do it. And you're one of the people who, who do it, aren't you, Hunter? You're, you're one of these people who practice regenerative grazing? Indeed. I was able to take over the management of about a thousand acres of ground in the Rocky Mountains that had been badly degraded, had invasive weeds, massive erosion, and but within two years of 
putting cattle on the ground, using electric fences, we were able to turn the place around very visibly to people who came there. We had it set aside as publicly available open space. And the visitors kept remarking on, gosh, this is so much prettier than it was a few years ago. And it was also much healthier. Wetlands returned. We had endangered species popping up. The seeds had been there. They just hadn't had the conditions to enable them to grow. So it works. It, uh, it, it's one of the approaches that has the potential of saving humanity. If we were to increase soil carbon, something like 2%, it would soak up all of the anthropogenic carbon, the human-caused carbon that we're releasing into the atmosphere from burning coal, oil, gas, all of the human activities that are threatening the climate. And it, this can be done anywhere, anywhere that there is grazing land, and it can be done profitably. Now, one thing you write about in the chapter is that regenerative agricultural methods tend to employ more people, which is surely a good thing, but it could also be a more costly thing. Will something need to change to make higher employment in agriculture a reality? We all like cheap food, but cheap food turns out to be very, very costly. It's costly to our society as we have, we're substituting the use of fossil fuels for human labor. It's costly to our health. The, uh, the, the cheap food doesn't have the nutrients in it of food lovingly grown. The average molecule of food now travels something like 2,500 miles before somebody eats it, and it tastes like that. So if we relocalize agriculture, and the, uh, it was yesterday debating some uh, industrial agriculturalists, who were saying that um, <clears throat> the American farmer feeds the world. I said, but the world ought to be feeding itself. Food ought to be being grown locally in ways that sustain local communities. We ought not to be shipping American wheat and corn around the world and thereby displacing the people in those countries who could be growing it for themselves. We This will be a wrenching transition, particularly if we leave it until late. But we are going to have to transform everything about how we're doing agriculture. We cannot continue to burn the fossil fuels. We will need to return to simpler ways of growing our food. So, for example, just down the road from where I am, there is a smallholder organic farm. The little general store immediately next to my office also has a little organic farm. And so I sign up for what's called a community-supported agriculture. And as they grow food throughout the year, I get a share of it. I put money in now, a couple hundred dollars, and that funds the farmer to hire people, to plant the seed, to live throughout the growing season. And throughout the entire growing season, I get a share of whatever it is they're growing. This kind of keeping money in the community, creating jobs in the community, and for every job that is created on these little local farms, 
those people are also spending money in the community. This is what grows a local economy. Okay, I can see how that would work in a rural environment. But of course, more and more people are living in urban environments these days where space for growing food is more limited. So what's your your vision for the future of growing food for an urban population? There are a number of ways that people who live in cities can participate in growing their own food. One is to simply have little pots in your house and grow whatever you can, herbs, tomatoes. Another is to be joined, just as I do, join a CSA, and the farmers drive the food into town to a distribution point. You go pick it up. You get to meet the farmer. Another is farmer's markets. When I was in Paris for the uh, big climate conference, I went to the little local farmer's market which is hundreds of farmers from all around Paris who bring their honey or wine or, or whatever it is that they have grown or caught or are selling and have conversations with the people who come to buy from them. And this little market happens every couple of days in Paris. Most of us think that we go to... Uh, a Tesco or a Sainsbury's and buy our food from great enormous boxes that's been shipped halfways around the world. It doesn't have to be that way. And again, the more that we localize it, the, uh, the more we're building community and genuine economy. So in the chapter, you refer to a few potential solutions such as biochar, holistic grazing and perennials. Um, but all in all, are we talking about a need for our farmers to have to reschool themselves to, to understand these different methods? We are all going to have to learn to do things in a different way. And change is hard. Margaret Mead said the only person who likes change is a wet baby. And I would argue the baby squalls all the way through the process. And yet at the same time, we change all the time, every day, we, we get delighted by new things. So it, it will be a process of working with some good old boys who have no earthly interest in changing. But I think the market will do that for us. If you look at the top restaurant trends of 2015, they are locally sourced, sustainably grown, farm-to-table, no GMOs, organic. In, all, in the top 10 restaurant trends, they're all about sustainable regenerative agriculture. Hunter, I just want to ask you one final question. What's all this got to do with a circular economy? <laughs> We're talking about a circular economy of the soil. The, in nature... Nutrients flow round and round and round in, in cycles. And what we have done is to break those cycles so that we are decarbonizing the soil, putting it up in the atmosphere. We need to round the circle and put that carbon back into the soil. We are destroying rural culture. We need to rebuild rural culture. We do that by rounding the circle and having conversations with farmers. 
just as the we found in the circular economy of materials, uh, Dr. Marcus Gilles showed in some of his early reports for the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, we could add a trillion dollars a year just by taking what are now waste products and returning them into the industrial system as inputs. So we need to stop wasting nutrients in agriculture, return them to the soil. We do this through compost. We do this through holistic planned grazing. We do this through biochar. Then we have a circular economy of the soil. We begin rebuilding life. Hunter Lovins, thank you. It's been a most fascinating chat. Colin, thank you so much for having me on it. Thanks so much for all the work that the Ellen MacArthur Foundation is doing for all of us. Thanks, Hunter. And if you'd like to learn more about Hunter's idea of the circular economy of the soil, or about the other themes explored in the book A New Dynamic 2, you can order your copy from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation website. In addition, you can join me in speaking to more contributors to the book by looking out for the other podcasts in this series. But until next time, it's goodbye for now. <laughs>